Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast, this time asking, is the government plan to process asylum seekers in Rwanda unlawful? We'll hear from one immigration lawyer who thinks it is, plus one of the protesters who disrupted a speech by Home Secretary Priti Patel last Friday. She, of course, is the architect of this scheme. And we'd love to hear from you as well. If you're listening live on your Twitter app, then just tap on the bottom left-hand corner of your screen and we can allow you in. Before we get cracking, though, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, which is our wonderful monthly newspaper. We like to say it's what the papers don't say. It's all about reporting without fear or favour and telling it like it is. So uh, you can find out how to subscribe to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. You can find out how to subscribe at our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. And your subscription to the newspaper not only pays for the paper and the website, it pays for this podcast and for Byline Radio as well. So uh, an investment well worth making and Byline TV too, lest we forget that. So I'm joined by Holly Hudson from Green Deal Rising and Jan Derfel. Jan is an immigration lawyer. Uh, Holly, I want to talk uh, to you first. Just explain what happened on Friday in case people missed that story, where you were and what your complaint was about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, firstly, thanks for having us on. Super exciting. Um, So yeah, myself and a few other activists from Green New Deal Rising, uh, we're a young uh, youth resistance group rising up for a Green New Deal in the UK. We basically, we went to a private conservative dinner party in Bassett Law, and we went undercover as young Tories to basically disrupt the dinner and demand that she drop the violent and racist uh, Rwanda plan. And what is it about the plan that particularly irks you to the point where you went undercover in the way that you describe? (laughs) Uh, Well, ultimately, for us as young people, we want to live in a society that cares and respects people wherever they come from. And we believe that people, whoever we are, we all deserve safety. But uh, Priti Patel's Rwanda plans uh, are violent, they are inhumane, and they're racist. They've already been condemned across society by human rights groups, by charities, by immigration lawyers as well. Um, So that's why we disrupted her to say that we stand with refugees, with people seeking asylum, and demand that she uh, she drops the, um, the proposal. Jan, welcome to you as well. Just talk me through, Jan, why as a barrister who deals with immigration on a daily basis as your job, why you think this plan is unlawful? Yes, first of all, I'd like to really thank Green New Deal Rising. I watched the footage and I was just so encouraged by that because I think in addition to the legalities, it's it's so absurd, it's it's literally unspeakable. Yeah, there there are many reasons why I think it's unlawful. I think in many individual cases it would be unlawful because these are very severely traumatised individuals who are coming here and any plans to put them away on another plane to another country to deal with their asylum applications is is absurd and will put them under more and more uh, strain and stress. But the fact is that the deal will not deliver what they're claiming to and I think other countries have shown that. Israel for a while had a process where they said, where they literally forced individuals, proposedly on a voluntary basis, to go to Rwanda. And uh, if all those removed, none of them were given a chance to actually claim asylum in Rwanda. 
there are all kinds of problems. First of all, how do you choose people who who are sent back to Rwanda? The government has indicated partially it will, it will be single men. Then the idea is that it's for people who arrive unlawfully. The fact is that there is no legal route as an asylum seeker. What's their other uh, immigration categories you can apply for, a student, a visitor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's no such thing. So effectively, we are penalizing all refugees who are here arriving unlawfully, when possibly not the individuals who are here where their, where their situation in their country of origin changes, and as a result of that change, they become refugees whilst here. So they're, they're the refugee surplus. But the great majority of, majority of other individuals could be at risk of removal to Rwanda. It's completely against the spirit of the 1951 Refugee Convention, which arose after the Second World War. And the point was that you allow people who are asylum seekers to claim asylum, uh, uh, right, also recognized in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And then it's really for uh, a government to assess their claim. Now, what the government here wants to do is they, get, they want to get out of that, that duty altogether, so effectively, they want to delegate the, the duty to the Rwandan state, who, by the way, probably has a lot more refugees. It's a fact that 87% of all refugees are already claiming asylum in, in the country next to them. So the UK has, a, has very little amount in terms of asylum seekers. So it's already not fulfilling the international obligation to, to, to have, you know, to share in the burden of asylum seekers. Uh, that's what it's called, burden sharing. I think the main point, as the ref, as Green New Deal rising has made clear, is this is a humanitarian duty to start off with. So it's not something that a very rich country can get out of by saying, you know what, we're making a deal with another country and then they process the asylum claims. And it raises other issues, apart from the discriminatory selection of who we send back the fact is that Rwanda has a lot of problems, and especially in the treatment of migrants. Um, just last year, at the end of last year, the UN Committee on the Protection of the Rights of All Migrant Workers has raised serious issues that range from the fact that refugees and migrant workers there suffer from serious violations and prejudices, that refugees and refugee camps in Rwanda have no access to sufficient health care, and it lacks uh, adequate government support, that refugees in Rwanda have been subject to excessive use of force. In February 2018, Rwandan police shot and killed 11 refugees who were protesting against camp conditions and reduced food rations and had arrested 15 others. Then child labor is a massive problem when it comes to migrant children. Rwanda has still not activated anti-trafficking laws, so clearly that's a huge concern. Um, also reflected in the fact that most people who were then sent back from Israel to Rwanda were not allowed to apply for asylum and were subsequently trafficked at huge risks to their lives back to a European country where their asylum claim was then positively determined. So then the problem that, that migrants in Rwanda won't have access to judicial redress uh, and need to lodge a sum of money before their case can be heard. So whilst in the UK, for example, in 2021, 72% of all asylum claims were granted. And then of those that appealed, 49% won their appeal. So these are very huge, they're, they're, they're big figures showing that people who come here are refugees at risk of persecution and human rights violations. And they have a right 
to to go to appeal if their claim fails. And as you can see, many succeed. Whereas in Rwanda, the question is, where are people going to have access to legal representation? How are they going to have their claims heard if their claims are accepted in the first place? It's a plan so beset by problems that it's unfathomable that this government has even considered it and and negotiated apparently for months, clearly having started shortly after the very adverse report by the UN Committee on the Protection of Rights of All Migrant Workers. So it's hugely worrying. Well, let's bring in Holly here. I mean, Holly, there's a a difficult real-world situation to deal with here, isn't there? Last November, 27 migrants died crossing the channel in a small boat. And the UK government would argue that it's trying to break the grip of the people smugglers, the people who profit from this deadly trade in cross-channel traffic. And Priti Patel, writing in The Times, said Mm. that this is an innovative answer. She said that no humanitarian nation could allow the suffering of people dying in boats across the channel could continue, nor the, the people smuggling and the people smugglers who profit from that trade. And it's a it's an issue which doesn't appear to have a straightforward solution, is it? I actually think the solution, and I think we as Green New Deal rising as well, actually think that the solution is fairly straightforward. And we think that actually to challenge people smugglers and to, and to ensure that people can reach the UK safely, what the government need to do, if they're really serious about this, is to provide safe routes. That would prevent the crossings being perilous. That would save so many lives. What we need to do is we need to establish safe and accessible routes to asylum in the UK now. And that would that would squash the, um, the people smuggling trade as well. If the routes were safe, people don't want to be paying probably like life savings to criminal gangs. That is an absolute act of desperation. So what we need to do is we need to provide safe and accessible routes to asylum in the UK now, um, provide humanitarian visas and expand family reunion rights, that kind of thing. It's, there, are, there, are, there are viable solutions to, to this. And I think- Would the creation of safe, safe routes in itself become a magnet for refugees? Well, the thing is, it's about the UK taking historical responsibility for our role in creating the multiple crises that force people to move in the first place. So irrespective of whether people are economic migrants, whether they're migrants because of climate catastrophe, because of poverty, whatever the reason, I feel the UK has a historical responsibility um, to provide safe refuge. If people are people are only going to leave if they if they um, if you know if they are driven to by desperation like I wouldn't want to leave London because it's my home like I'm sure someone from any kind of wherever they are in the world feels exactly the same you know where their friends people want to live where their friends and their family are in a culture that they understand with a language that they speak. Jan what happens to migrants through this process if in Rwanda they are deemed to be worthy of refugee status, you know, they're granted asylum, do they then get the right to come and live in the UK or would they be then living in Rwanda? Well, apparently, and that's uh, I had to take a double take <laughs> seeing that, the idea is then that they, uh, that they can build a life in Rwanda, which um, clearly is made very obviously clear by the UNHCR and other UN bodies, um, is not really possible because there aren't that many economic opportunities in Rwanda. 
So, in fact, if I may just add to 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 what Holly uh, said, um, I think it's absolutely right that there should be a, a legal route. I mean, there are visa applications you can make for other categories that are being assessed, and in my view, is there should be one that's assessed while someone is still in their country of origin. It's perfectly possible, and that would absolutely pull the rug away from the people traffickers that are being paid numerous times. Uh, the sum that would otherwise have to be paid for legal passage. And Switzerland for a while did operate such a system that you could apply for asylum whilst you're still in the country of origin. And that would then be assessed by the embassy or here you could have the UKVI decide that. And in a, in a way, the Ukrainian family reunion um, program, whilst it's apparently not running properly and is too little too late, would be a way to do that. You allow people to register their claim and that can then be assessed. And then the UK could, rather than lagging behind, could play a role model and try to assess, try to promote that further. Just as the EU together has decided to have a a non-bureaucratic leave to remain period for all Ukrainian refugees that are coming. So I think if the political will is there, so if the political will really was to undercut traffickers, then that would be absolutely the logical way to do it. Because the plan, as proven, is quite the opposite. It just gives more more business to traffickers, leading people on from Rwanda back to Europe. People have already made their way here. So it, it really is a, a sort of, yeah, it's literally advertising for traffickers. We're going to send people back. And what the people who were sent back from Israel made clear is the moment they arrived back in Rwanda and then had to travel through Sudan, the fact that they came through Israel was then seen as another point of extortion where people then assumed, oh, because you've come via Israel, you must have money. And the same will happen to people being sent back from the United Kingdom. So in fact, it's completely counterproductive. But of course, I don't think that's the real reason. The real reason is is that it's part of the hostile environment. You want to deter people, not because you care about people, but because this government always had a narrative of reducing migration figures. Mm. Uh, I've discussed the hostile environment before on the Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast. It's a a phrase that was first used in government circles, ironically, by the Labour government and Liam Byrne, then a Labour minister, I think was the first person to use that particular phrase. But it was seized upon by Theresa May, uh, in particular in, uh, in her time as Prime Minister. And it, I suppose it's embodied most readily by the treatment of people from the the Windrush generation, people from the Caribbean and their descendants, people who'd arrived in the UK but perhaps lacked the relevant papers, but who many years later then were, in some cases anyway, deported from the United Kingdom. You think this is an extension of that? Oh, yes. No, absolutely. I've no doubt. I mean, you can... And that's why I think a normal sort of... A reaction to the plan that is purely instinctual is, is if you were fleeing from a country, is this how you would want to be treated? I mean, there have been estimates that it'll cost the government £2 million per asylum seeker. Now, imagine what one could do with that money. If you really wanted to help people who are traumatised, you could pay therapy, you could give them real opportunities, um, you know, to be productive, which they want to be. You could uh, enable them to be joined by their families as soon as possible, I mean, these are people literally fleeing persecution. And this is what the figures show. The figures don't show that these people are economic migrants. 
Uh, interesting uh, point as well. The, the the cost of dealing and dealing with and processing asylum seekers and migrant applications uh, is often cited. This is one of the reasons why Britain officially wants to reduce the flow of asylum seekers, particularly those crossing in boats from Europe. Uh, interesting to note that Boris Johnson, when he was mayor of London supported the idea of asylum seekers being allowed to work whilst their claim is being assessed. And indeed, a number of Conservative MPs still today believe that asylum seekers should be allowed to work so that they aren't seen as a burden on the British state and so they can add their skills and their knowledge to our economy. Absolutely. Uh, Holly, uh, you're from uh, the organisation Green New Deal Rising, and you know, this is uh, an immigration issue, a, a human rights issue. Where is the connection between that and Green New Deal Rising? Yeah, I think it's a super important question. Um, I mean, for us, uh, the connection, we cannot talk about climate justice unless we're talking about migrant justice. They are, for us, one and the same. So... The climate catastrophe that we're witnessing all over the world, the, the terrifying figures that we have maybe eight years left, according to the IPCC report, the latest one, to prevent the worst of climate change. These are the direct result of centuries of exploitation by wealthy countries such as the UK. Um, so for Green New Deal Rising, we believe that it's the responsibility of our government and other wealthy former colonial nations to provide safety for people who have to bear the brunt of these situations, situations that were not in their making. I mean, I think it's something like the richest 1% in the world cause double the carbon emissions of the poorest 3.1 billion, something like that. So climate justice and migrant justice are inherently linked and they're going to continue to be as more and more people are, will be displaced by um, climate chaos in the next few years. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering whether electorally that's an easy sell. I mean, there'll be people listening to this, I'm sure, who think that right is on your side in describing that. Mm. Can you imagine any mainstream politician making that argument? Well, I think so, yeah, because I think especially as young people, we want to live in a society that is respectful, that is caring, that is humane, you know. And I think if we actually lead with that argument, we want a politics of care, ultimately, you know. It's about asking, what society do we want to be? What, what society do we want to live in? What example do we want to send to our families, to our friends, to communities? How we treat people seeking refuge is refuge is in a way the best reflection of what kind of country and what kind of community that we have so I personally don't see why it can't be a an election defining issue you're listening to Byline Radio. My name's Adrian Goldberg, or if you're listening on Catch Up, you listen to the Byline Times podcast. And we're joined this time by Holly Hudson, a protester from the Green New Deal Rising. She disrupted a speech on Friday by the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, in protest at the plan to process at least some asylum seekers in Rwanda, and also by immigration lawyer Jan Durfel. And if you want to join in and you're listening live on Byline Radio, if you've got a question to ask or a contribution to make, there is a little microphone in the bottom left hand of your screen if you're listening via the Twitter app. Just tap that to request access and we'll try and give you a little bit of airtime. In the meantime, just to remind you that if you can support the Byline Times, then please do. If you buy a subscription to our wonderful monthly newspaper, you not only get that 
great paper. You're also helping to support Byline Radio, the Byline Times podcast, Byline TV, and our wonderful news-breaking website as well, bylinetimes.com, which is where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's at bylinetimes.com. Jan, you talked about the, the in your view, questionable legality of this scheme. Of course, the government insists that it is entirely legal and perfectly legal. Where does that question go then? Can we expect to see some kind of legal action against the government? And if so, on what grounds? Absolutely. I mean, I think there can be no doubt that that if the first removal directions are set to Rwanda, that lawyers will put in claims for injunctions, so that their clients aren't removed, alternatively, that the whole scheme is, is struck off as unlawful. I think there are a number of issues. A, that I think that the scheme is inherently discriminatory in terms of focusing in on the route that individuals came or possibly on, on the, uh, the sex of the individual, that in individual cases it will breach their right not to be subjected to inhuman and degrading treatment or punishment in, in Rwanda, uh, or possibly if it renders them more suicidal here in the UK or has uh, immense, if the whole process has uh, adverse mental health implications, then that raises issues under Article 3 and also under the right to private life under the European Convention on Human Rights of 3 and 8. Um, and it raises issues of procedural fairness and uh, the principle of access to justice under common law as well as the right to an effective remedy and effective judicial protection under the European Convention on Human Rights. The fact is that the rights under the European Convention on Human Rights have to be effective, and they can't just be overridden by a country trying to delegate its international human rights obligations to another country. So no doubt any such challenges would bring up uh, Rwanda's own human rights record, uh, the failings of Rwanda to deal properly with individuals' rights, to bodily integrity, not to be subjected to human and degrading treatment in Rwanda, probably the, the conditions um, in terms of accommodation or detention conditions, the conditions in refugee camps, access to the labour market, subject to, to violence, etc., of undocumented persons. Because um, as the Israeli experience has shown, people who then arrived at the airport immediately had any form of identification taken away from them, were then refused access to asylum procedures, etc. So I think any claim would, would bring all that in, both in terms of the impact on the individual that's foreseeable as a result of them being removed from the UK, as well as the huge failings in terms of having chosen Rwanda as the country to sort of carry the UK's international obligations vicariously. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the Israeli uh, example. I mentioned that quite a few times, Jan. Of course, Australia has attempted this as well, haven't they? Israelia has had uh, asylum processing on the Pacific islands of Manus and Nauru, and people who've arrived there and been processed, again, even if they're successful, as I understand it, are not guaranteed any opportunity to live and work in Australia. And again, there have been allegations there of various human rights abuses associated with the detention of asylum seekers. Never mind the, the kind of the theoretical legality of it in the first place, Absolutely. but there have been allegations of mistreatment of asylum seekers as well. It's just horrific to, to outsource 
the the legal obligations of a country to really assess people's claims. And it's also evident that the choice is not made on merits. I mean, Priti Patel is trying to assert that, contrary to Home Office figures, that for some reason the route you're coming is indicative of your of the merits of your claim is complete nonsense because, of course, there is no lawful way to come. So your merits can only be assessed by assessing your claim. And then once your claim is assessed, that's when you should be granted refugee status. Or if you happen not to be a refugee, will you will be refused and, and able to either appeal and see if you win uh, on that. Or if you, if you just happen not to qualify, uh, at that stage, it's internationally possible to remove someone. But not to sort of just say, well, we completely uh, violate the right to claim asylum and we are now going to be a country that doesn't deal with our asylum claims anymore. I mean, that's just fundamentally wrong. And that flies in the face of the international legal order in terms of refugee protection entirely. I mean, how how low does a, a wealthy country have to stoop? When neighboring countries in Africa and Asia take the vast amount of refugees and deal with their claims, yet the UK says, oh, we can't deal with, what, 48,500 asylum applications in 2021. I mean, that's just nothing compared to, you know, millions of people on the move including also as a result of, of the Ukraine war. So so this is just, there's no basis for the UK, a very uh, wealthy country, to then say that Rwanda, a not particularly wealthy country, um, is supposed to deal with our applications on top of the, uh, the refugees that they're already accommodating. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a processing element in this side, as it were, isn't there? Because, as you say, the, the suitability of people to be processed in Rwanda is going to be assessed first here in the UK. So anybody who arrives by a train, boat or plane could be considered for relocation. As you say, there is no kind of recognised safe route apart from those who are fleeing from the war in Ukraine. So there's going to be an assessment here. The Rwandans have said they don't want anyone with a criminal record. Uh, Men... I think only now it's been decided will be the the people who are sent to Rwanda. So, you know, there's this whole checklist that's going to take place here in the UK before people are then formally processed in Rwanda. Uh, We also have the difficulty, don't we, that there may well be people seeking asylum in the UK who are themselves fleeing persecution in Rwanda. They won't be returned, it should be said, to Rwanda. But that kind of poses all sorts of questions about, you know, we're sending people to be processed for asylum in a country which itself has people fleeing it and seeking asylum elsewhere. Absolutely. So that that already shows. And then then you will have uh, refugees from Rwanda being, uh, in a way, advantage to everyone else, uh, if that's how they're choosing it or then sometimes the issues arise if you if you're from fleeing from a neighboring country to Rwanda sometimes the issues arise you know is there a risk of onward removal so you know do the Rwandan authorities work with other authorities which you know which happens that 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 security services um effectively work together in what's effectively unlawful renditions, etc. So you're already looking at a pre-assessment, as you say, that has to be really thorough. 
and 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 for it to be lawful, you need to have a right of appeal against that. So in the end, you're spending so much in terms of court resources and home office resources and the home office. There have been uh, people I, I read in an article in the Independent, Independent, who said we can't stand for this. So effectively, um, there are clearly concerns within the home office. Uh, and it was overruled uh, their concerns by ministerial direction. So, so you're already looking at really creating a system which is not going to be cost-effective. You might as well just continue assessing what you do now, which is whether someone's asylum claim is justified, uh, as opposed to assessing the pre-questions about, you know, what's your life, what are the risks of removal to Rwanda, and then in terms of, you know, you have a right to private life, you have a right to uh, bodily integrity, right to family life, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, so there are other issues that are arising uh, that are really individual specific. How would an individual be affected if they were sent to Rwanda where they don't speak the language, where they cannot have access to the labor market? How will they have access to, let's say, treatment in terms of medical treatment, if they have mental health issues, as many have, because we have a lot of people who come here and they're traumatized. So if the government is trying to send a single man back who, who has PTSD and is suicidal, well, of course, their lawyers are going to bring a claim and say even the removal to Rwanda itself, irrespective of the question whether the person might be moved on from Rwanda to their country of origin, itself breaches that person's human rights. Well, just as a fairness point, I'm going to quote here from the Memorandum of Understanding that the government has published with the Rwandan government. And they say that their aim with this policy is to develop new ways of addressing the irregular migration challenge. They want to counter the business model of human smugglers and protect the most vulnerable, manage flows of asylum seekers and refugees and promote durable solutions. There's a full statement as well. If you want to go and check it out on the government government website it is worth reading www.gov.uk slash government slash memorandum of understanding rwanda you'll find it if you put something like that into your search engine and it is worth reading holly i'm just interested in your moment of disruption as well i'm just uh, intrigued about the the strategy behind it i mean it's clearly worked to an extent you've had publicity yeah. elsewhere but kind of tell me about the thinking behind and, and, and indeed, the, the, the how you achieve this disruption. The thinking behind it was to create a messaging that really, really kind of hit home that this plan is violent, it's illegal, it's inhumane. And we basically just wanted to make that as clear as possible. And the way that we thought we could do that would be taking that message directly to the Home Secretary. So that's exactly what we did. So yeah, it required quite a lot of strategization. But yeah, we just basically really collaborated together to, to make it work. So basically, this was this was a dinner, kind of a spring dinner in, exactly, yeah. in Bassett Law, which I think is in Derbyshire, and oh, Nottinghamshire, actually. And you had to, what, pretend to be Conservative Party supporters or members or activists? Uh, yeah, exactly. So we just pretend to be young conservatives or some of us with um, slightly more controversial haircuts decided to be young LGBT conservatives. <laughs> um, yeah, and we just basically schmoozed with some, some conservatives for about an hour, ate some soup and then Pretty Patel did the speech and then we disrupted it. So, yeah. And did you have to pay to get in? Um, we did have to pay, yeah. <laughs> How much? Uh, we paid, it was £40 a ticket. 
So it was quite a lot. But I think when you look at like how much this plan is going to cost, how many lives it could actually destroy, I think it was definitely worth it. And let's just be clear as well, this was an entirely peaceful disruption. There was, I mean, I've seen footage of it. People are, are standing up and heckling Priti Patel, but that was the extent of your disruption. There were no, no threat to life, you know, no suggestion that this was going to escalate into anything physical, as it were. Absolutely not. We are in Green New Deal Rising is an intentionally non-violent movement and everything we do is non-violent. So we, we don't want to cause any harm to anybody. We just want our message to be heard. Are you going to be planning more actions like this, do you think? Absolutely. Until this bill is dropped and until, until we achieve climate justice in the UK, uh, we're, yeah, we're going to keep at it. So watch this space. <laughs> OK, Holly, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And Jana, a final word to you then. You, you seem pretty confident that a legal challenge will be mounted and, in your view, will be successful. Politically, there's so many headlines generated by this scheme that uh, I'm sure the government will want to ensure that at least some asylum seekers... Sorry, Anne, if you could just switch off your mic until it's your turn and then I'll... I'll yeah, if you could just mute it, it's all there. Uh, the, 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 the government's got so much... Um, political capital invested in this. There have been so many headlines around this. They will want to ensure that at least some asylum seekers are sent to Rwanda for processing. Do you think it's possible that zero people will actually be sent to Rwanda in the end under this scheme? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because I think the moment the removal directions are set, unless it's it's, it's done, which I've seen with other clients or tried to, where people were picked up in the middle of the night and driven to the airport. And even then we got an injunction by ringing the duty judge um, and stopped that. But otherwise, removal directions would have to be set. And the moment that starts, you will have the whole league machinery start into action and other cases will, if, if other removal directions are set, and then you would expect them all to be heard together or one, one sort of queued uh, behind another. So the first case, unless someone is... Uh, for some reason, not even accessing any legal help. I think you will have a lot of NGOs and lawyers just waiting to uh, to stop that plan from the outset. And I mean, countries like Denmark had considered it and spent a lot of money on it, but as far as I understand, haven't sent anyone back. So, and, and the outcry alone should really give the government serious serious cause to think about what they're actually trying to do. It's quite simply wrong to say that this is a real new model. Uh, it's, it's, it's nonsense. It hasn't worked anywhere else. And it's clearly inhumane and very cruel. So, and it will be costly. I mean, no doubt uh, we, we've seen it's, it's lefty lawyers who are being attacked and, and the government might just uh, engage in, in, in that again, saying, oh, it would work if it wasn't for people actually trying to enforce the law. So in that sense, uh, I don't think this will go ahead. And, and because the government will fight it and not just let it be, they will no doubt spend a lot of money of the taxpayers' money actually defending their case, which in my view is, is bound to fail. So um, yes, I think if the government pursues that, a lot of lawyers will come together and they will make the strongest case possible against it. 
Jan, thank you very much indeed for your time. That's uh, immigration lawyer, specialist immigration lawyer, Jan Durfel. We've also heard from uh, Holly Hudson from Green New Deal Rising. And as I say, the government's argument is that this is a plan to break the people traffickers in order to make it less attractive to send people to the UK. Effectively, they're creating this system as a deterrent. Thanks very much indeed for listening, whether you're listening live on Byline Radio or through the Byline Times podcast. Please support our work on Byline Radio and the podcast by taking out a subscription to the Byline Times, our monthly newspaper. You'll get details on how to do that at bylinetimes.com. Thank you to Jan, thank you to Holly, and thank you to you. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks a lot.